Welcome to episode 203 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. This September, I turned 46 years old, so my childhood memories are distant, but one came flooding back to me the other day. I was outside tending my new garden, the first garden I ever managed on my own. Being around my garden brings back fond memories of being a kid helping my dad with our garden. I remember eating string beans off the vine, which is odd because as an adult, I am not a fan of raw string beans, but there was something magical about eating them still warm from the sun. So while I'm watering my garden, my wife and kiddos come outside and, you know, a couple of months ago, we had acquired a kid-sized car that can actually be driven, but it didn't have a battery. On that morning, my wife announced the battery had arrived and was now properly charged, and that's when it happened. I dreamed about having a car like this as a kid. I didn't know anyone who had one, but I had seen them in commercials and in catalogs. The idea of being able to drive all by myself, wow. My four and a half year old, who had previously enjoyed just being able to pretend to drive in his Lightning McQueen car, cautiously hit the pedal and the car lurched forward. What followed was a joyous 10 minutes of trying to teach him how to steer and not to drive into anything or anyone. Then we gave his two and a half year old brother a try and it turned out he's tall enough to reach the pedal. He really had no idea what we were trying to teach him. And then he got it. And as he cruised along with me running alongside him steering, he started laughing, the kind of laughter only a small child can exclaim, pure joy and wonder. So while I never got to cruise around in a kid-sized car, I'm getting to witness and support my children getting that experience. Driving a car has become easy and familiar for me, something I don't think about very much, but seeing my children experience it for the first time in their kid-sized car made me want to go for a spin myself. Your challenge for this week, think of something you've mastered and how hard you worked at it first to even begin to get it right. At some point, that skill became second nature. You can relive that joy of learning and growing by mentoring someone else. Make a list of what you're good at and consider who you could mentor. Mentoring is a great way to be reminded why you love something in the first place. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest works with sales professionals and business owners to integrate social selling and social media into their business. He knows sales. He's a sales speaker, a sales expert, a sales trainer, a sales leader mentor, a sales podcaster, and a sales coach. He's written five books, more than 3,000 articles, and has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Daily Globe and Mail, Financial Times, Investors Business Daily, Inc., and many other publications. He trains his clients on the power of connection, leveraging the reach of social media combined with a deeply personal work of nurturing one-on-one relationships, growing profitable long-term clients, transforming businesses, and boosting revenue. Please join me in welcoming Bill Gerbershek. Hey, what's up, Robbie? How are you? Phil, so great to have you here, joining us in your office in Tampa, Florida. As you know, this show is about building strong networks, and the context is leadership. So tell me, 
how do you f- define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So I, th- I think of leadership as tension. It's the tension between learning and sharing. It's the tension between going first and going last and the tension between being confident and being vulnerable. All of those things really take up leadership because you have to be someone worth following. Otherwise, you know, you're just off in the wilderness by yourself. And I kind of realized this, oh boy, about two years into my management journey, when I was leading a group of folks, I thought it was just about me. I thought it was all about me being the best and learning the most and being the smartest guy in the room. And I recognized, I got, I got challenged actually by a speaker I heard, a guy by the name of Kirk Wiesler. He challenged me. He said, so dude, you're damn smart. But how do you share that? How do you empower others? And I said, wow, Kirk, that's a great question, man. I don't know. He said, so here's my challenge to you. You want to be a leader. You have to share. You have to go first and you have to be vulnerable. You have to admit that you don't know everything because you don't. Nobody does. And I was like, wow, man, that's, uh, that's interesting. I hadn't considered that. So it took me, honestly, it took me about six months of working on it. But once I realized it, really, it, it changed my whole life, Robbie. Wow. First of all, great advice from, from someone. Second of all, just six months of practice, which feels like a lifetime journey. <laughs> so, but, but it's true that that sort of tension of not knowing everything, of needing to admit some of that, of needing to be the first one to speak up, right? That's all leadership, right? And I, this visual of someone running off the woods by themselves with no followers, that's, that's actually a really good visual because some people are like that. They're like, I have this great idea. Come follow me. And then like no one does. And so they have to rethink, hmm, what, you know, what was, was it my idea? Was it the way I talked about my idea? Was that I didn't include people? I want to roll back the clock a little bit to what you were like as a kid though. So Phil, when you were like on the playgrounds, when you were in high school, when you were heading into college, like what was life like then? Were you the outgoing kid? Were you kind of shy and sitting back? Did you organize people to do things? Did people look to you? Did someone recognize your leadership? Like, what was life like before you got to the opportunity to have this management role? Wow. Um, hmm. So if I, if I think back, I mean, I, I got bullied pretty severely when I was growing up. Um, I had, uh, you know, I, I, was, uh, we're the, I was the poor kid. Um, I remember my mom making a dollar sixty-one an hour as a waitress. My dad being a dairy farmer who um, didn't—you know—we we had no positive income. And my parents got divorced when I was eight years old, and, and I lived with my mom and my stepdad. Um, and my stepdad was a, a carpenter, but he was twenty years older than my mom, and he didn't really want kids, like young kids. And so um, I wasn't really wanted at home. I mean, my mom loved me. My mom still loves me. She's with me right now, actually staying with me through this COVID thing. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, but I, I was, you know, I was bullied miserably. And so I don't think, uh, I don't think anybody really followed me. And my mom, and my mom always said, you know, don't, don't fight back. So I'd get my butt handed to me, man. I, I would just get clobbered. And then we moved in fourth grade and, um, I was a smart aleck. So the, the, one of the kids in the class, I'd, I'd heard that uh, he was in the Dungeons and Dragons and I heard, uh, and, and I had no experience with it. I heard that Dungeons and Dragons uh, brainwashed you. So two things I heard. So as I introduced myself to him, I said, Hey, Victor, I'm Phil. It's nice to meet you. Hey, I hear you play Dungeons and Dragons and you're brainwashed. And he clocked me, just poof, laid me out. 
And I was like, boy, I should probably shut my mouth, right? And I, and I got bullied more, you know, for a couple of years because I always had a big mouth. I don't think anybody, anybody followed me until um, probably until I got into high school. I don't think I ever, uh, I, I don't think I even cared. I just wanted to be the best. I mean, I was competitive. I wanted to get the best grades on, on, on the test. And I would, I would be the kid that would wreck the curve. I wanted to be the best baseball player. I was good at baseball, but I, I wasn't the captain of the team because I was way too focused on my score, on my results. Um, I had one, one game. My best friend was my catcher. We beat a team uh, four to one, beat the best team they hadn't lost in six years. We beat them. Um, I, my, and, I, and I realized, as I look back, I realized that trusting my catcher, trusting my best friend really changed my life. It really helped me learn that it's not just about me. And of course, you know, lots of twists and turns there. But um, that, was a, that was a big lesson for me, that it wasn't just about me. And that was, I want to say that was sophomore year of high school, uh, that really everything changed for me there. Um, and then, you know, if you want, I mean, we can talk about my car accident because that really was a pivotal, that was a yeah. pivotal time for me. I know today's the 30th anniversary of that. So we will, we will have to kind of dig into that a little bit because it was a profound moment. But I just want to say you talking about your best friend being your catcher for that pivotal, that, that game. Um, you know, if there had been TEDx back then, you guys could have <laughs> done a talk on it because it does feel like, you know, this, or even now, right? It's like the kind of thing that we all can relate back to. It's like, oh, right. You know, the, when, what is the moment when you realize it's not just about you? Because I think to be a true leader, and to show up for people, you have to have that moment. You have to have that, uh, that epiphany around that you're not an island. Um, and all this visual of you wrecking the, uh, the curve too. <laughs> like, I could, you know, you're a smart aleck. You're smart. You're wrecking the curve. <laughs> you're getting bullied. Like, it's not a good scene for you, Phil. <laughs> not a good scene. A lot of adversity, though, leads to perseverance and, you know, the ability to, to come, come back from that. So... I mean, there's a, there's a resilience factor in your story as well, which actually brings me to the, to the resilience of this big moment. Um, so right before I was coming on to talk to you this morning, you know, I'm, I'm perusing through Facebook and I read this long post from you about this car accident you had where you, you know, basically just gotten your driver's license. You drop your mom off. You end up in a car with your best friend driving a really nice car, a fast car <clears throat> that was borrowed from a family member. And then you tested and out the car and the car, I mean, you're, the, adve- the adventures were, uh, were everything you would imagine a kid doing, basically, including riding through cornfields um, to get through and around buses. So, but you had a car crash. And what was that like for you? Like, did, was that a wake up call of some, some kind? Like, what lesson did you think you got from that then? And what lesson do you realize you got from it 30 years later? Well, I, at the time, the first thing that I learned was that I'm not completely invincible. That was the first thing. Um, and that was a hard lesson for me growing up. You know, again, I was, I was the best. I was the smartest kid in the class. I was a really good, uh, really good baseball player. I, I wasn't the tallest kid. I wasn't the strongest kid. But I really worked hard at, at my game. So I was, I was good. Um, and, you know, I, would, I flipped from baseball to basketball to football to wrestling. And I, I wasn't the best. Um, at that, but I, I worked hard and I, and I, I, I felt pretty untouchable. I, I have to admit, you know, I felt pretty untouchable and the car accident really shook that. Um, 
you know, I got, I got in a car accident. My best friend, uh, if we rewind though a month here to set the stage here, my, my other best friend. So I've got two best friends, Ryan and Matt. Ryan, about a month prior, we were at uh, post-prom and we kind of got in an argument and we stopped talking. Now, this is a guy that I knew since I was four years old. Um, he's my best, my best friend in the world. Um, full disclosure, I mean, we, 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 were, we were both in uh, interesting homes. So we had, um, we had a lot of anxiety and anxious kids often wet the bed and we both wet the bed. Um, and, and, you know, we talked about that and it was, it was a bonding moment because while we didn't understand why and that anxiety, we understood that we did. And so we, we, we gelled over that and then to lose him. And then I got in this car accident with my other best friend. So it was me, Matt and Ryan. And, and, um, I'm going to long story. Um, but we're still friends now we're, we're back together, but that car accident, I'll never forget. I thought I lost both my friends, man. And it really shook me because it wasn't about, it didn't matter how invincible I was. The people around me weren't invincible, you know, and being alone, uh, laying in a, laying in a cornfield on my back and thinking, wow, is this it? Like, am I, am I done? Am I, am, is this real? I, I remember, you know, watching TV, right. Uh, and watching those flashback scenes of people that get in accidents and they, and they visualize things and they see weird things and they see clouds and you know, you walk right through the gates of St. Peter, if you're Catholic or whatever that is. And I was like, is, is this it? Like, am I dead? Am I not? I, I don't know. And recognizing that not only was I invincible, not invincible, but I was also likely going to be alone because I tried to kill my best friend and I uh, lost my other best friend. And when I, when I came to, I'll tell you, I was angry and I, and I realized that I was angry because I was angry at myself and I did, I did lash out. I, I lashed out. I, I drop kicked Carl to the uh, guy that came and touched my ankle. I drop kicked him across the room. I remember. The yeah, yeah. Your medic the, came over. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really hard, man. It, w- it would definitely change my life. And as I look back at, at what I learned, um, you know, I, I really know first, like I said, I still know I'm not invincible. Um, but second, I'm, I've got a lot more to give and a lot more to live. I'm really grateful for every single day. I mean, every day on Facebook, I try to post three things that I'm really grateful for. And they could be small. Grateful for salt and pepper could be grateful for water, grateful, you know, to talk to you, or they could be big things like today, 30 years ago, man, I'm grateful to be alive. So that's, uh, that's probably the, the biggest lesson is that gratitude, the vulnerability, and uh, that I'm not in this by myself. Yeah, you're not in this by yourself and the relationships matter. Yeah. No, I mean, th- those are all important lessons. And I have to tell you, reading your post as a parent, uh, my heart was in my throat, because I know I've got two kids that are gonna have to test their you know, their limits all the time. And, and it's just a scary idea to let kids out into the world Um, as as semi-adults with car keys. (laughs) And my kids are like, you know, more than a decade away from that happening. And I'm still like, oh man, reading that. So uh, let's just go back to your career journey though. When you were that age, what what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? So I I thought I was going to play pro baseball. I really did. I had a, a live arm. I could throw a knuckleball and I had a Tom Seaver curveball. And for anybody uh, that is into baseball, Tom Seaver had the best curveball of all time. They called, they said it fell off the plate, which means it just whipped through the strike zone. And I was really fortunate. Um, I'd read Bob Gibson's book. They call me hoot. 
changed my life. He pitched for the Cardinals. Funny enough, that's my least favorite team, but I have tons of respect for Bob Gibson because um, I'm from Milwaukee, right? I'm from Wisconsin. So the Cardinals and the Brewers are arch enemies and they beat us in our only World Series appearance in 82. Not that I'm bitter, but I am. Okay. So um, yeah, so I thought I was going to be a baseball player. Then I got in that accident and I really, uh, I, I got a job in high school uh, working with Bob and Mary Moser as a, as a cook, as a, first as a dishwasher, then as a prep cook, and eventually uh, as um, more of a chef where I got to make soups and appetizers and steak and, all, and lobster and all sorts of good stuff. And I thought that was going to be it. Um, and then I, uh, in my junior high school, um, I recognized that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't go to college. My parents were not going to give me their tax returns. So I had to find another way. Um, I thought about the academy. Uh, the academy did not work out. Uh, I'm this much color deficient. So, uh, so I went and I thought, I, again, on that restaurant journey, I'm, I'm going to be a cook. And they, and they told me, they said, you, you cannot be a cook. Um, that's just not your, that's not your path. Um, you need to pick something else. And so I, I was at a crossroads. I, I could go home and I could go back to Krivitz and I could work at the gas station the rest of my life. Because likely that was my story. You know, if I'm not going to college, if I'm not getting out of town, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm going to be there. Maybe making nine to thirteen dollars an hour, and you know I'm grateful for people who do that. That just is not my story. So instead, uh, I went. Uh, I went back the next day, and uh, I signed up uh, to be in uh, military intelligence, which is the ultimate oxymoron, right? Military intelligence. So I, I did that, and uh, I really thought uh, at the time that I was going to get out of school and or get out of the navy and go to school and be a teacher. And it's funny how life works out. Well, you are kind of still a teacher, I guess. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Right? Just Absolutely. a different different uh, medium or different modality. But um, but that's interesting. I, I, what I'm hearing also is, you know, so the, the picture so far that I have of you, that you were coming from a pretty small town without a lot of options. And the way out was military service. And when that didn't initially pan out, you were going to just like try to work in the restaurant industry. And then they were, you were like, okay, that's actually not it. But you still found you found you were persevering even then to find another path because the alternative, the default path, wasn't one that you wanted to choose. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, but some people do. Why do you think you were so so focused on something different than what was sort of easily being handed to you? Um, I don't. I don't like people to tell me what to do. I still don't. And I remember. Um, one of the things that helped me um, in eighth grade, uh, my guidance counselor, I'm signing up for school and he says, you know, you should probably take easy math because you're going to work at a gas station the rest of your life. And I was like, whoa, okay, um, screw you. That's not going to be the case. Um, and that, that caused me to, to fight uh, the, the uh, desire to tell, basically tell him to stick it up his butt was really strong. I mean, that, that, that motivated me for a long time. Um, you know, in fact, I'll tell you, it still motivates me, but, but differently. I actually, it's different because I want to help now. I want other people that maybe have been told that uh, to recognize that that doesn't have to be their path either, that they can choose that. So um, I think just the, the, you know, the FU mentality of, uh, I don't think that's going to be the case and I'm going to prove you wrong, um, I think is really strong in me. Um, it's still really strong. I mean, my whole, my whole career, Robbie, is there, there is no reason that I should be where I am today. I mean, genuinely speaking, there's no reason why I should be here. I went from the Navy to go to school to be a teacher to getting a job 
uh, in tech support to getting a job in sales to being a stockbroker to uh, being a VP of IT, to starting on social media and connecting uh, with amazing uh, folks like yourself, you know, authors, speakers, brain, smart, smart people. Uh, I quit my job to go, thought I was going to be a leadership and management consultant. That dropped out, moved back into sales, sales coaching, sales training, did that on my own. A year ago, I had a company that headhunted me to ask me to be their VP of sales training that I said yes to that still gives me the flexibility to still do 20% of my own stuff. I mean, I work 50 hours a week, but 10 hours a week are for me. So, um, and there's no, there's no reason that I should have, oh, and I was a director of social strategy for a startup in Silicon Valley. And there's no reason that any of this stuff should happen. I have a degree in computer science, but it's a bachelor of arts, which means I took all the the arts classes and none of the science class and they want to get me out of school. So they degreed me with a bachelor of arts in computer science with no math, right? I'm the only person that I, that I've ever talked to that has a BA in CS. So it's really fascinating to think about that. Right. So I, I don't know, man, how I got here. Um, or I, I don't know why I got here. I just know, like I said, I mean, I believe that I have a lot more to give and a lot more to live. Uh, but just people saying, Nope, you can't do that. Well, screw you. Yes, I can. I can absolutely do that. And now it's about giving back and helping other people see that, you know, there, there are no self-limiting beliefs that are worth a damn. So you have to really go and move forward. So, Well, I appreciate you running us through that, that whole journey because I got a sense that you, your, your career path was sort of it, it, like a, not, a, not a linear one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very, very broken. It's like a sine wave, yeah. The broken road. Um, but I guess one of the things I hear when I listen to that is that you are willing to say yes. Opportunities are given to you. You'll take the risk. You'll try it out. You don't feel married to the idea. If it doesn't work out, you're like, okay, well then what can I take from this to launch me to the next thing? Okay, well now I'm going to go back to this other thing. And now I'm going to launch again to this thing. And I'm going to quit my job and try to become a consultant. And did you, did you know any entrepreneurs? Like Growing up, no. I mean, my, well, I shouldn't say that. My uncle that loaned me the car... In my car accident, he owned uh, Rolls and Remnants, which was a carpeting company, and he owned a bar, and uh, he he had some businesses, but I didn't really think about that, and my, and my best friends were the people who managed the restaurant. I didn't find out until uh, after I got out of high school that they didn't own the place. I thought they did. I thought they owned it. They really, they just ran the business, so, um, so that was really interesting to me, um, so no, I, I don't, I don't think I did, and even Gosh, I, I don't think that I knew anybody other than, uh, yeah, I don't think I knew anybody who owned a business. Yeah. And here you are making this decision in the middle of your career to like try this out. Now, by that point, by the point that you decided to, to try to be this consultant, uh, you know, before you went back into sales, had you already connected with other people in that space? Were they inspiring you? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that is the thing. Having a, I, I had a podcast back in 2006. Wow. I, I had a blog. My, my blog uh, is now 15 years old, 03, 04, 05. Real easy for me to remember when that was. So I've been blogging 15 years. And at first it started out where I would just share other people's stuff. You know, I'd read, I'd read something from Bob Berg and I'd write about Bob Berg. I'd read something from John Maxwell. I'd write about John Maxwell. I'd read something from Marcus Buckingham and I'd write about him, Lisa Hanneberg, Rosa Say. I mean, lots of people. And I, I wrote their stuff and actually I start, it started out actually as an email newsletter that uh, I subscribed to and I subscribed my mom to. And thankfully she's not, she wasn't very tech savvy, so she didn't know how to unsubscribe. 
So I had two subscribers for a long time because I didn't even know how to put a sign up form up. I want to be really clear. I, I didn't know how to do that. So I started with that, sharing my take on, on Maxwell on leadership and my take on Buckingham. And it got so that um, then, then I started a blog, Scott Ginsburg. Hello, my name is scott.com. Kicked my butt on Valentine's Day of 2005 and prompted me to start a blog on 030405. And uh, I started, what I would do is I would, I would email uh, authors or in Bob's case, Bob Berg, I, I hand wrote him letters like, hey, Bob, I loved endless referrals. Hey, Bob, I love winning without intimidation. I, I would love to hear what you're, what you're working on. Uh, is there another book coming out? Because I just devoured his books. And I remember when he came out with his little pamphlet, back when pamphlets were a thing, because you could mail them in a number 10 envelope for standard postage. So for 33 cents, you could put your brilliance in an envelope and send it to someone for 33 cents and hopefully they would do something with you. So I remember when that came out, you know, Bob sent me one. I loved it. I said, Hey, I'd love to share this. He sent me 10 more. And I was like, Oh, this is interesting. And then Kirk talked about sharing and I was like, okay, so maybe I can do this. Maybe, maybe I've got a chance at this. And the, the turning point there was I, I remember uh, I hired a speaker for an event. I was uh, in an association and the speaker had a beautiful uh, five-minute demo reel. Beautiful five-minute demo reel. Great story. Well-produced. Back when, uh, you know, um, it was 300 by, by 200 on the page in flash, right? It barely showed. Uh, this is back before we had smartphones even. And I remember watching that. I'm like, wow, that's really good. He's an engineer. That would really fit with my audience of IT professionals. So I brought him in. Sadly, the only thing that he was good enough to present was that five minutes. It was terrible. I had to pull him off stage and I had to go fill the 55 minutes. And I had people that said to me, hey, buddy, why don't you speak? We'd love to hear what you have to say because you did a great job there. Why don't you speak at the time at our meetings? Why don't you share your stories at our meetings? And I was like, well, I don't know. And then again, like I said, man, Kirk, Kirk showed me that it, it could be a business. He sent me off to, uh, I, I got to go, uh, I got a scholarship to Chad Hymas's, uh book, uh, Speaking Bootcamp and, in uh, Salt Lake City. And I remember I got, to, I got to schlep all of Chad's gear. And that it really changed my life because I, I recognized then, right, because I'm starting to connect with these folks. And I met, you know, five speakers there. And then I started, you know, started really reaching out and connecting with folks. And it really just accelerated from there. And when I finally left in 2010, I had a, I had a blog called Slacker Manager. David Zinger and I wrote uh, every other day. We wrote six days a week. We wrote every other day. We got half a million hits a month. And then one day, they decided to sell the, the whole B5 media, Jeremy Wright and Darren Rouse sold B5 media and then effectively started putting nasty advertising on our business blog, right? Because pictures of women in bikinis at the time, every, you know, in casinos and stuff like that, they're getting there. And what was happening is we lost all our readers because we're advertising the corporate, right? We're totally G-rated saying anything. Uh, having a, a bikini meant that our site was going to be banned, from corporate. So we went from 500,000 and I'd left and I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to be a management consultant. I own the management experts.com and I'm cranking here. And then the bottom dropped out. Our blog went to 50,000 visitors a month. B5 uh, sold it to somebody who then uh, sold it again on us and killed the whole blog. 
and now Slacker Manager is some, some ad network or some selling something. Uh, David actually messaged me about three weeks ago and said, hey, have you seen what they're doing with Slacker Manager? I'm like, darn it, I wish they'd have sold it to me, right? So, um, yeah, uh, wow. but yeah, connecting with, uh, connecting with others uh, like me, uh, that saved my life, man, that, and changed my life. That's the only thing that the only thing I can attribute my success to is the people in my world and the things that I learned. I mean, that, that's all about right. The, in five years, who do you want to be? Surround yourself with those people and learn those things. And in five years, you'll get there. Um, even though I didn't expect five years ago, I was going to be in the middle of a coronavirus. Absolutely. This is the life that I envisioned five years ago because of what I've learned and because of who I surrounded myself with. So, so much, there was so much there and I want to unpack it a little bit. Um, first of all, we're definitely going to put a link to Bob Berg's interview that I did with him. And uh, he's, he's great. If you're listening and you're not sure who Bob is, go check out B-U-R-G is his last name, Bob Berg. Good stuff out there. But, but the fact that you reached out to him early on and had a, correspond, a written correspondence with him back in the day, um, again, there's something about you. A lot of people who read these books are feeling inspired and take no action. You were reading the book, feeling inspired, and took the action of reaching out to the author. And that's still to this day a thing that people could be doing. You know, obviously it's even easier now. You don't have to find like a post box like address or anything like that. You just reach out on Twitter or Facebook, LinkedIn, et cetera. And as content producers, you and I, you know, the few times, you know, that people do reach out with a very specific gratitude around a specific thing that you put out, it's, it blows your mind as a content creator. And I think people could really learn a lesson from you about how to get on people's radar, um, develop real genuine relationships. The other thing I wanted to ask was, you mentioned Kirk, but I don't think I caught Kirk's last name. Who are you speaking about? Oh, Kirk Wiesler, W-E-I-S-L-E-R. Kirk actually, get this, Kirk wrote a book about poop. He wrote a book called The Dog Poop Initiative that's probably sold five, six, seven hundred thousand copies because it's a little, it's a children's book with an adult message. It's all about pick, taking the initiative and instead of pointing at the pile of poop on the soccer field, it's taking the initiative and cleaning up the poop. And it's a beautiful story, fantastic story. He wrote that. He wrote a little book called The Cookie Thief. Uh, fantastic books with huge lessons. I mean, just good stuff. And, and uh, yeah, Kirk has changed my life. His, he had his thought for the day. Uh, I remember uh, that was his big thing after he got done speaking to our group was, if you go to kirkweesler.com slash T4D for thought for the day, every day I'm going to share something. And so every day he did. Um, and it was, it was awesome. I mean, every single day he inspired me every single day. He would share a story or what was great is he was the first person I ever saw that did user generated content, right? If people would share a story with him, he'd share it back out. I remember that it was such a big deal. Like, and it, it was so cool because if you could actually tell him how you used his thought for the day, he would feature you. So think about what a rush that was back before we had social media. Not only did you get a mention on Twitter, which is like, boop, boop. Okay, great. That's nice. I like that. Don't get me wrong. Very grateful for every one of those. But boop, Kirk just sent this out to 74,000 people with your name, your company, maybe even your picture and your story. And I remember, oh boy, the first couple times he, he mentioned me, and I think maybe I got mentioned maybe four times, maybe five times. Um, I would send it to my boss. Hey boss, look at us. Our team got mentioned in there. She's like, hey, don't give away too much of our secret sauce here, Phil. I remember that. And it's so crazy because, you know, Kirk, Scott, Bob, you know, some of these folks, uh, Lisa Hanneberg, again, Rosa say, just changed my life, fundamentally changed my life, Robbie. And I wouldn't be who I am without them. 
So you're in sales and my background is networking. And these are kind of areas where a lot of people need help. <laughs> um, they're both relationship-based and people don't, people who are good at it don't necessarily think to teach it because um, they're busy, you know, hitting their sales numbers <laughs> and, and, and being the best in their, in their space. At what point did you realize you were better suited to be the coach, the trainer, the mentor, and, and you didn't want to stay in the field just like selling the widgets yourself, but you were like, oh, I could actually help other people get better. And you leaned into that. Like, what was the decision-making for that? Well, I, I love the light bulb moment that happens when people learn something new and they actually do it. I want to be clear. I, I don't like to teach for teaching's sake. In fact, I think it's a big waste of time. Kids that just sit there, adults that just sit there and they don't take any action, they're super frustrating. But people that take action, even if it's imperfect, done is always better than perfect. Just do it, right? Take the step, do the thing. Whatever the thing is, don't be afraid. When I started noticing that people were doing that as a result of my training and because I'm fortunate, I, again, I've got credibility here. I've sold, right? I worked around 9-11 as a stockbroker. I sold high-speed internet. I sold software. I've done these things. This isn't, you know, uh, the, the saw about those who can do, those who can't teach is not true. They're very different skills. I want to be really clear here. Sales and teaching could not be any different than lemonade and pickles. They're completely different. So when I started seeing that I could make an even bigger impact by sharing, again, gets back to the Kirk thing. When I started seeing that, right, when I, when I became a titled leader, I started seeing that I was a force multiplier instead of just a doer. And that's really important to me. I love that. I mean, even today, I love my team at Vector Solutions. I love when they take action on the good stuff that I, that I share. And certainly, I'm not perfect. I absolutely have a process that we work through. But a lot of this, it's human to human contact, which means it has to be personalized. It has to be customized. It can't be just copy and paste because, because if it's copy and paste, that's marketing. Just set it up and forget it. And that's not true. Few people buy B2B sales, high ticket sales, high ticket software as a result of an email newsletter. They buy because someone talked to them and had a one-on-one -on -one conversation to understand what are your needs, what's your pain, what would this mean to you if we could solve it, what would happen if we can't solve it, right? If we can't solve this, how long has this pain been happening? And so if I can teach that, I can help people, it's really, really gratifying for me. And I, I, I still, you know, I still have to sell, Robbie. Let's, let's not be fooled, man. I've got, four, I've got four or five locations that I have to sell on the fact that they want and need training. I have to sell myself to them. I have to show them. I mean, last, over the weekend, last weekend, I got recognized by Crunchbase as the number 11 uh, of 25 sales leaders to follow, which I'm totally honored by. And it's totally important because my team needs to see that I'm still out there, that I'm still doing this stuff. And so as we see that change, as we see that shift, I love that I can be an example. I love that I can teach and empower and, and give them that activation energy to do it. And I love that I can then watch and I can say, wow, Griffin, great work. You took what we talked about 
and you turn that into something in your world. And it's great if it gets a sale. Don't get me wrong. I love that, right? Ringing the, ringing the bell, that's, that's awesome. But it's even more gratifying to see that they're actually willing to try something new. And I think that's when I knew, uh, as I, you know, I get a rush over that. I, I, you know, I think about that. I can, I can tell you, I save all that stuff. I save those messages. I think about that because there are days where, you know, I, I've got a whole, I, I've got a team that frankly doesn't want to talk to me. They, they don't want my help. And so I have to overcome that, right? I have to find new paths in. I have to sell myself some more. I have to, I have to prove that I have value to them. And so um, that also, right, the you can't do it, that totally motivates me still. Yeah, I, I love this term you used earlier about uh, being a force multiplier. It's clear that impact is important to you. And also this idea of, you know, the difference between marketing and sales. And I think you'd really enjoy a show that I did now like three years ago, I think. Her name is Stephanie Chung. And she's a high ticket sales coach. And she learned her craft uh, selling private jets. And she is neither a pilot nor a white man. And uh, she's a woman of color who, who learned how to sell private jets. And so we had a fun conversation, much like we're having, because um, basically all the things that you and I know to be true about sales and networking and relationship building, if you just insert, I'm selling private jets into whatever it is you're selling, it will change the way you approach it. You will not just walk in a room and fling around some business cards in a spray and pray kind of fashion because it doesn't work. You wouldn't put people on an email list and spam them. You know, like if you if we all just thought, okay, if this were a private jet, how would I go about selling this? <laughs> I just think it like forces us to think differently about the relationships behind it. And I want to actually bring us to this relationship questions around like you obviously in the last, you know, decade plus, 15 years have just met some incredible people. You're still in touch with everybody, it sounds like, including friends from high school. So you clearly care about relationships. What are your um, thoughts around staying in touch? I mean, you have sort of a close circle, but like then there's like the second and third tier out, the people you see maybe once a year at a conference, you work with five years ago, you know, the people that you just, you don't have a reason to see them all the time. What are your habits or philosophies or practices around staying in touch with, with those larger parts of your network? That's a really, really good question and a really important question. It starts first by having the time to kind of stride at your network, right? Who is my inner circle? Who's my outer circle? And then who's kind of in the middle there? And people do transition through those. And it's understanding that where, where are they right now? Some of the people that, you know, from high school, I don't talk to them very much. Some of the people that I met, you know, two weeks ago, I talk to every day now. People move through those. So that, I think that's the first thing, right? That mindset. And then how do I do that? Let's talk a little, ta- a little practical, tactical here. So I believe that connection starts with happy birthday. So every day on Facebook, every day on LinkedIn, every day on Twitter, you get to see whose birthday it is. And I believe, and when I see that, that to take the time to celebrate and not just with a HBD on their wall, because an HBD on somebody's wall is no BFD. Let's be really clear right? Nobody cares, but it's personal. Hey, Robbie, you've really impacted my life. You're on the schmooze podcast has really changed my life. And here's how, when I listen to Bob Berg episode, you know, I learned things that I didn't know about networking. I learned things about Bob. I didn't know. And that really has impacted me. So being really specific and happy birthday. And I'm grateful that you're alive. Really simple, right? Really impactful. As we flip that to potential customers and prospects, 
we pick up the phone and we call them and we say, hey, Robbie, I see that it's your birthday today. Happy birthday. Are you doing anything special for your birthday? Do you have a special thing that you do on your day? And I can tell you that most people never make that call. They never make that call. But over the years, gosh, I've made several thousand calls. And the message that I get from people is, wow, you're the only person who called. What an impact. What an amazing impact. And then a couple of weeks later, calling them and ask them, you know, if they had a special dinner plan, I'm going to ask them, so how was that dinner? Or you had a special cake. Some people have a special cake. Some people, it's not even their birthday that's important. If you've adopted a child, you know the gotcha day is the, a massive day, massive day. If you can remember that day or a wedding anniversary or on the other side, right, a sad day, a day that maybe they, they lost a loved one, maybe the day they lost a child, um, maybe the day that they had an angel baby, something like that, right? So any of that, if you can take the time to recognize that, and just really pour into them. And Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and social networks make it pretty easy. Plus, uh, you know, my secret weapon is my calendar. As I learn when people's days are, I add it in. Yesterday, I found out that uh, two wonderful people in my world, they share a birthday. That's really cool. So I put that in my calendar so that I remember to celebrate that with them. And I make sure then on that day, and if I don't talk to them the rest of the year, that's the day that I make sure that I talk to them because that's their most important day. And then with that, if there's something there, if they give me a nugget, if I can follow up, if I can add more value, then I do. And I'll follow up in a week or two, ask more questions, find out, and then maybe potentially, maybe we shift into a business conversation. Because, you know, business is all about timing and all about top of mind. Let's be really clear. If people aren't thinking about you and you call them, they're like, well, you only call when you need something. Because I've got friends like that. I've, I've got one person that absolutely, they shift right from, uh, you know, they ask the right questions, but they shift right into business. And they never give me a chance to share my humanity with them. And so I don't want to do business with those people. And I think most people don't. I mean, unless you have a massive need, right? Like if I'm, if I'm gushing blood, yes, I want some gauze. But seldom is that the case. Most of the time, I've got a small puncture and it kind of stings a little bit, but eh, it's no big deal. I can let it go. It can go another month, another week, another year until then it gushes blood. So I think that's, that's how I do that. I celebrate that. And then I do make time every single day to use Facebook and I go through the feed and I try to comment, like, share my friend's stuff, you know, people that I'm engaged with. LinkedIn, same way. You know, I believe in investing 50 cents a day in my network. So two cents, right? I want to give my two cents 25 times a day. Sometimes that's me sharing insight. Sometimes that's me connecting with other people. Sometimes it's me just cheering somebody on. Somebody's got, you know, something exciting that they had. I celebrate with them. Or it could be just asking a question. But every day, you know, if I can talk to 25 people, I can be really good about that. And, I, and full disclosure, I'm terrible at a CRM. Terrible. I wish I was better with it. I'd probably be more effective. But I love connecting with people. So if I can pour that in, right, if I can give you 25 comments a day, I can make an impact in people. And I always start, right, again, that tension between going first and going last. I'm going to go first because I'm going to be vulnerable first. I'm going to share my day first. I'm going I'm to give first. And certainly I respond to those people that respond to me. But then I go last and I take time at the end of the day. I don't post. I just go and comment. And I stay connected that way. And that seems to really work. 50 cents a day into your network, 25 comments because you're going to drop your two cents each time. I mean, man, that's memorable. And I feel like 
you know, if, if listening to this 25 comments, 25 touches, touch points seems like too much. I mean, think about if you just got into the habit of doing that five or 10 times, and then you kind of increase it over time. I mean, Phil's been doing this for a while, but that conscious effort to put something out there early in the day with a little bit of vulnerability, and then to follow up with people who message you back about that, and then to reach out at the end of the day and sort of check in with people and sort of, you know, comments and share their stuff. Couple that with a thoughtful approach around birthdays, because like you said, it's a time, <clears throat> a lot of people, I mean, I've joked that, you know, I get a, several hundred comments on Facebook. If my mother only wrote on my wall, I wouldn't know that she acknowledged it. <laughs> like, I could literally spend the entire day saying thanks and replying to each person. And so at some point you don't because you want to actually go celebrate your birthday. And so, you know, being the person who, who I always say, like, even if you just shifted to like a different medium, like to a private message, to a text message, like what's the most direct way that you can reach them? Is it a phone call? You know, some, by the way, people, the thing you carry around that device that goes in your pocket, that's a phone. It makes calls. Yeah, I think people forget that they have the ability to make voice calls. This has all been really fantastic. I knew you'd have some great insights, Phil, about this. So this is my favorite question, and it's sort of a, it's a wrap-up question, which is when we're connecting again a year from now, and I, I'm, I'm grateful that we will we'll stay in touch online between now and then, and hopefully one day we will cross paths again in person. You know, let's, let's, break, paths out. let's break out of our four walls of home. Um, and we are celebrating all of your successes what have you accomplished in the year ahead that we're celebrating? So uh, first, I'll have a, another book done. It's really important. It's, it's outlined already. I just need to sit my butt down and do it. That's the first thing we'll absolutely be celebrating in a year. We're going to celebrate a new uh, podcast for me. It'll be the Inside Sales Show. In a year, I'll probably have 30, 40, 50 episodes uh, uploaded. Um, hopefully, it'll be new and noteworthy. If not, at least it'll be old and impactful. I don't really care, right? So um, that, and then uh, we'll be celebrating uh, the fact that hopefully I'll have gotten married. So my sweetheart and I, uh, she's fantastic. Her name is Stephanie and I love her. We've got two kids and two dogs and the two of us and uh, feel really blessed by that. Uh, I've never, uh, you know, if you'd asked me a year ago, if that was the case, I'd have laughed in your face, Robbie. But a year now, um, you know, being with her, she rocks my world and the kids are absolutely incredible. Uh, the 13-year-old yesterday got inducted in the National Junior Honor Society, and I'm so proud of her. I'm so thrilled uh, just to be part of that family. So those are the three things that, that we'll be celebrating. What about you, Robbie? Where are you going to be in the year? Oh my gosh. I, so rarely do people throw this back at me. But well, I will say that you know, I didn't know where I was going to be because obviously the world has shifted so much recently, and my work had been about in-person events. But I have to say, this new landscape, we're all going virtual. I have discovered I have the ability to add so much value into how we create more engaging online experiences and that, that events are about content and connection. And so I'm kind of riding this wave. I mean, there's been so much new opportunity and learning and experimentation and some ways to like add value and show up and, and be someone who supports others. Um, I mean, a year from now, I hope that I have some really solid offerings that I have tried and tested and improved upon and uh, know that, that whatever challenge thrown my way, I will have a, a, a method or a relationship that will you know, help that person achieve what they're trying to do. And uh, I won't have to travel all over the globe <laughs> to have the impact that I want to have, which having a two and four-year-old is, uh, is good for me. Um, 
but I also hope that a year from now I get to leave my house a little more frequently. <laughs> so we'll be celebrating absolutely that we've gotten out of the house once or twice, maybe. Um, so this has been such a great conversation. How can people uh, find you and follow your work? The easiest way to follow and find me is to go to LinkedIn. That's where I share most of my stuff. You just search for Gerbyshack, G-E-R-B-Y-S-H-A-K. Just go to LinkedIn, send me a connection request, tell me you heard me on Robbie's show. Uh, let me know. I'll be happy to accept you in my network. And if you're bold and willing to take a risk, you can call or text me, 414-640-7445. That's not a Google voice number. That's my cell number. It goes directly to me. If you want to talk to me, let me know. I'd love to pay it forward, pay it back from Bob and Kirk and Lisa and Rosa and everybody else who's given to me. So let me know. And if you're more of a pen pal, if you go to my website, philgerbyshack.com, on the bottom in the footer is my PO box. You can absolutely send me a postcard. I'd love to hear from you. Wow, that's fantastic. We will have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Phil, thank you so much. This has been a really fun conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Robbie. Good times. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Phil. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 203. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. I want you to know that every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern, I host a free No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hour. These are a fun way to network and discover new ways to design engaging online experiences. Join us once or every week. Sign up at nomorebadzoom.com. Are you confused about Zoom settings? I created a No More Bad Zoom settings checklist. It's a PDF and 26-minute video that walks you through all the settings at zoom.us and a few of my best practices. It's available at robbysamuels.com forward slash Zoom settings. Now, no email opt-in is required for this, and you are welcome to share this resource. If you need help bringing your one or two day event online or want to have the skills to run your own one or two hour program, reach out to learn how I can support you. Email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. And if you enjoyed this episode with Phil, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week. And I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.